As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. Indeed, and joining us in the studio today, it is sports writer for The Times, Molly Hudson, and The Times' deputy sports editor, James Restall. Molly, James, hello. How are you both? Not too bad, thank you. Good. Nice to have you with us, James. Yeah, very good to be here after a thrilling weekend of Premier League football thrilling weekend I have to say my weekend was quite uneventful it was very chilled um, which was quite nice Gregor how was your weekend? (laughs) My weekend was quite eventful Um, Was it? Yeah enjoyed the joys of uh, British Rail System on the way to Accrington and back and then Saturday night I had quite an eventful experience Um, Go on I received a phone call from a close friend of mine about midnight on Saturday night um, and his wife was very close to giving birth. Um, so I had to rush round and they have a three-year-old son who I had to look after while well, they went to the hospital. And when I arrived at the house, there were some pretty scary noises going on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was close and I was hearing things like, it's hard not to push. It's hard not to push. <laughs> oh my so we were getting very close. The taxi wasn't coming. Um, helped them downstairs into the taxi um, and there's about a four minute drive to the hospital and my friend rang me about an hour later saying that she had given birth in the foyer of the hospital hospital, oh my goodness with nothing to protect her modesty apart from kind of a security guard with a towel (laughs) Uh, so yeah four minutes a bit more delay from the taxi and it could have been well, and, it, and the thing is, my friend, I said afterwards, very much like Tom uh, of this parish, uh, he has a squiffy disposition. Oh. So he told me there was no way he could have, he could have helped. Oh, so you his, would his have wife. had to. Wow. So I would have been. I would have had to. To help with the delivery of the, the baby. <laughs> oh my goodness. Boy or a girl? Boy. Boy. They're going to call it Gregor. I hope so. Yeah. So who who you see you made a successful career as a footballer you're making <laughs> it as a successful career as a as a journalist you could add midwife maybe, to that as well acting. next time <laughs> <gasps> that is fantastic now coming up we are going to talk showboating and discuss the curious case of Gareth Bell but first Jose bites back. Jose Mourinho has landed his first major blow as the Tottenham boss thanks to a hard-fought 2-0 victory over Manchester City in an incident-filled game in North London. We're going to get into the incidents shortly, but do we feel this could be the start of something special for Spurs under Mourinho, James? Um, It's a very positive result. Um, 
what really struck me was the way Spurs playing on the counter broke with such pace and such speed. Um, and they were a real threat going forwards. I was looking at their average positions this morning. And a lot of teams, when they play against City, kind of sit really deep and don't really have too many players in the attacking half. City um, Spurs had three forwards whose average position was in the, in the City half. So um, that was really, really encouraging. But I do think they rode their luck a, a, a lot of the time. City have missed, particularly against Manchester United in the week. And then again on Sunday, they just, they've just missed so many chances. And I, and I think... On another day, City could have been home and dry quite mm. early. Yeah, it's sort of strange that they are missing these chances of late to Manchester City. So are we, in some ways, Gregor, making more of this result than we should be for, for Tottenham? Yes and no. I mean, I think, look, there's no doubt that on another day, City could have been three or four up at half-time. Um, 18 attempts to three, I think. Uh, 67% possession. That's overall as well, and with 10 men for, what, 20 minutes plus um, so yeah I mean I think sitting another day they would have won this game quite comfortably but Spurs did show did show something you know especially kind of holding on towards the end um, and I think there are a lot of positives to take I think obviously the debutant goal scorer mm-hmm. I think uh, Tantanga looks like a, he- a heck of a defender um, and Lo Celso's really really kind of growing into that role in midfield Um and Dombele, when he came on, he, lovely little shimmy and threw ball for Son. I think there's a basis of a of a, a good good midfield for the future there for Spurs. Um, there are lots of questions about Mourinho's tactics and their efficacy. Um, but uh, look, this is in no way, shape, or form a Mourinho masterclass, as some people have been saying. But um, there are some positives to take for Spurs. Depends, does it not, if they can consistent, if they can keep up. A level of consistency that will see them pip Chelsea now. That's that's got to be the yeah. challenge. They're, they're in touching distance now, aren't they? Four points. Um, you think you know th- this this could be the be a flash in the pan result, or it could be the start of a run. And you'd, you'd hope now that's how they're going to be judged, isn't it? Absolutely. And it, look, I just think that Spurs are going to be judged differently to other teams because of the way that Mourinho and Tottenham play now. It's changed so much. Um, so if they're winning games and it doesn't matter how they're winning them, like as we saw, the fans go home happy and Mourinho, Mourinho is the master. But if they, if they start to trip up and because of the style of play, I think really we're going to hear moans and groans a little bit quicker than mm. other places, such as Chelsea. It's been kind of a youthful sort of reinvention of the way they play this season now. Before we get into those incidents then in the game that we want to talk about, uh, Molly, our man James Gearbrandt has come up with a great stat in the game today. Uh, Jose Mourinho has become the first manager to beat Pep Guardiola with four separate clubs. So that's Inter Milan, Real Madrid, Man United and Spurs. It's got a bit of a hex over Mr Guardiola, it seems. Yeah, I think he, he tried really hard to play it down on Friday at the press conference. Um, tried to sort of say that he remembers a lot more from Guardiola of when they were working together rather than when they've lined up against each other on the touchline. I don't think anyone really believed it. <laughs> um, and I think the thing about Mourinho and that style of play, yes, they ran their luck yesterday. And, you know, as Gregor said, it probably wasn't a Mourinho masterclass or utterly dominant in the way that they can be often without much possession or many chances. It it wasn't really like that. Um but it has that way of frustrating Guardiola's teams, I think. Um, and there's not always a huge amount of chances. And when there isn't a huge amount of chances, 
that possession-based style that Guardiola likes to play, when it doesn't have anywhere to go and when it gets suffocated in that kind of um, style of play, it can be really frustrating. And I think that the thing that made me laugh yesterday was just Mourinho's whole mannerisms on the touchline. Can we discuss that clip? The oh. demeanour. <laughs> when, when it was the, the miss, the, he was Lurie saved the penalty and yeah. he, was, yeah, he was chuckling back to the bench. Somebody informed them that it could perhaps have been a second yellow card. <laughs> <laughs> and he sprinted to the fourth official and remonstrating for a book. And it's, he's still box office, you know, he's lost <laughs> he's lost something of the old, you know, the young sort of whippersnapper, Josie, but he's still box office at times. Ah, he certainly has passion, let's say Indeed. that. Um, OK, let's talk about some of the incidents then from the game. Raheem Sterling... Could have seen red for a tough tackle on Deli Ali in the first half with the score at nil-nil. Mourinho wasn't amused, insisting when the VAR decides not to give a red card to Sterling, it was thinking about the globality of the game. They decided to go against the rules of the game to favour the spectacle. For the majority of the game, it was 11 versus 11, but it should have been 11 against 10 since that very, very nasty tackle from Sterling on Deli Ali. So, do we agree with Mourinho? Should Sterling have been sent off, James? Uh, I think he should. Um, I've seen tackles not as severe as that punished with a red card. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're going over the when he when he was going over the top of the ball and catching a player on the ankle like that, to me that was reckless. And if, if it, they're looking at the at the kind of danger element of a tackle as well when they're making these decisions, and and I think I think that should be in a red, particularly. If uh, particularly given, um, particularly given there was VAR, I'm, I'm amazed mm-hmm. that if that's missed by the on-field referee or, or seen as a, a yellow card offence, that's not upgraded. Well, yeah, VAR obviously would have checked it. Gregor, was it red for you? I think it's one of these ones that's very marginal, um, and I'm going to say no. I don't think. It, I don't think. It, I know in, the word intentional is not supposed to be sort of having any coming into play in this sort of conversation, but I still think it has some some merit because Ryan Sterling went to win the ball and the follow through yes especially when you look at it and kind of the stills and the slow motion I'm surprised that VAR didn't didn't, uh, decide it was a red card because it Mm. looks worse but I don't think I don't think there was any intent I don't think well it was dangerous I don't think it was quite, quite worth a red card but this is the problem in itself both of you have come up with different ideas it's subjective Molly you've seen some replays of that. The problem with replays is that they can be slowed down and they look a lot worse than sometimes in real time. Yeah, I think Greg was right in the fact that maybe we're all sat here thinking whether it was or wasn't in real time, but then you look at the replay and you wonder how VAR watched that, clearly must have watched that um, and decided that it wasn't a red card. And yes, obviously those replays make everything look worse but we've seen them given this season. And for me, it falls into that category of that's a tackle that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you could probably have made. And nowadays you're going to get pulled up, particularly with VAR. So for me, when I saw the replay, I was really surprised that VAR hadn't upgraded it to a red. Hmm. I'm amazed that Mike Dean wasn't asked to have a look at the monitor. Yeah. I mean, that, that, because that, that's now something that is the kind of instance where that should happen. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, we're, we're we're sort of we're we're disagreeing on the on whether it should have been a yellow or a red. So the man so in the let, middle. So let the man in the middle, yeah. who's who's made the initial decision, go and have a look. And if he sees it, okay, yeah, slow down, so it might come across as slightly more severe. But kind of having a more kind of measured time to think about it, look at it, consider it, then make a decision. I think everyone in the ground would be happier. 
And it works both ways. We saw it at Crystal Palace. Yeah, exactly. Sheffield United when the red card was reduced to a yellow. He's making a decision. He was asked to go to the to the screen. Mm-hmm. It's, I think everyone in the ground at home, everyone feels better if the referee, the man in the middle, is making that decision. Well, another controversial moment saw City awarded a penalty for Sergio Aurier tripping Sergio Aguero in the box. Mike Dean initially waved away appeals at first before VAR stepped in to give the decision, but it came over two minutes of play later. This is the problem, isn't it? Play continued, and as I've suggested there, play only came to a halt about two minutes later. And, and from people I've spoken to who are in the ground, they didn't even understand why play had been stopped at all with, with the ball still in play. Are we happy that it, the play can still continue and continue for that length of time before play can be halted? I think the thing is, I think it, these incidents always look really bad when play has to get pulled back. Mm. But there are probably countless incidents that are being checked in the background that don't ever lead to anything and play continues and it's all fine. And I think we'd be complaining far more about disruptions in the game if we were actually having to stop for each of these things. The thing that, you know, the the big, and I know we'll come on to it, but the the big thing would have been had Tottenham scored from that, for that passage of play, then, you know, there would have been, there would have been uproar in the stadium Mm. Um, because, because it's reading sort of, reading people's reactions a lot of people yesterday didn't necessarily see the Aurier tackle firsthand and as play continued I don't think there would have been some fans who weren't sure what the play was being brought back for and with no proper communication on the screen it doesn't say checking for penalty potential foul Aurier on Aguero it doesn't give you the exact detail so you know there's a lot of having to put the jigsaw together in you know in the in the stadium so Mm -hmm. so I so I, I would I think there is a there's a communication problem, but that's that's a, that's a separate issue. Yeah, I mean, it would have been and it would have been very confusing for the fans in the stadium. But you've raised the issue of what would have happened if Tottenham had scored. Now we know, of course, if they had and the play was then pulled back, their goal would have been disallowed. But could you imagine if that had actually happened, how Jose Mourinho would have <laughs> reacted to that, Molly? I think. What I'm about to say is me sat here in a studio, not in a football ground, not with any allegiances to either team. Because for me, if there was a foul in the in the penalty area and the team have gone up the other end and scored, and then it gets brought back, then that's the right decision because you would have given it given it as a penalty and you would never have been up the other end of the field to score. Mm. So all of that is irrelevant. However, if you're Mourinho, if you're a fan, you're going to be absolutely fuming that that's gone against you and then, I mean, we'll probably still be sat here deciding whether the penalty Mm. was even a penalty anyway (laughs) and somebody might have different opinions on it. So I think, you know, what we have to kind of remember is the whole point of VAR is to get more decisions right, but there is always going to be a percentage of decisions that you don't agree with whether they're right or wrong. So I don't think you're ever going to make anyone happy. Molly has been very... Or just anyone. No, anyone. Well, just just one person <laughs> yeah. would be nice. But that's it. You've been, I mean, you've been very rational there about the whole, if we're in the studio, we can talk about it sensibly. But if you were in the stands, if you were in the, the dugout, like Jose Mourinho was, and they had scored, there is no way he'd have been happy with that decision. No. I mean, we saw how unhappy he was when he thought, thought there should have been a second yellow card. Yeah. Um, Look, I think I think the guys have said it all. I think uh, when you saw it uh, in real time, I didn't th- I didn't think it was a penalty at the time, and then you see the replay, and yes, it was a penalty. So ultimately, they got the right decision. You want them to make it quicker. That's the first thing to say. Um, 
but they came to the they ultimately they got to to the right decision in the end. And I think you know how often is this going to happen? Mm. It might happen once a season. I mean, has any has this even happened yet? Has a, has a team gone up the end, other end and scored? No, no, not yeah. yet. Not yet. There was almost the occasion I, with between uh, Liverpool and City. Yeah, with a penalty. Kick. Yeah, yeah, there was. Yeah, I mean, so I, this is so very, very rare. But it's good to wonder what's going to. I'll, I'll enjoy it. I, I think, hope Mourinho's in on in one of the dugouts. <laughs> well, I think, I think my my fundamental problem with it is the fact that this this system is supposed to be rigorously tested. Yeah, it should be it should be tested to a point where the average length of time to take decisions is say one minute or around that around that mark. And not unveil it until you get it to a position where it works as seamlessly as possible. Because at the moment, it still feels in some ways like we're testing it. And and if this is something that's going to be used in probably the one of the one of the one of the top leagues in world football, it has to be better than this. Mm. Well, there was more confusion, of course, in the penalty area. Ulkai Gundwan became the latest Manchester City player to miss from the spot. His effort was saved by Hugo Lloris before the keeper then sent Raheem Sterling tumbling over on the follow-up. So should City have been awarded another penalty, this time for Lloris on Sterling, Gregor? No. No? I think I think uh, it looked... Uh, uh, this is different. I think it looked at the time like it was a penalty. Uh, and then when you see it slow down, I think Lloris with, kind of withdraws and Sterling is kind of ready to roll with the, the punches, as it were. And it's, that doesn't really make a, a dive, per se, but... He went down. Um, so I think it is one of those things, again, these are very marginal calls where it's not really a dive and it's not a penalty kick. So, again, he came to the right the right decision in the end. That's all subjective <laughs> as well. <laughs> the the bit that frustrates me is that Hugo Ruiz was off his line when yes. he saved the penalty because I sat for a Women's World Cup where this was picked on and picked on and picked on to like millimetres and clubs but that countries literally went out of the World Cup for this yeah. and now the Premier League have decided they're not going to implement it and then you see on Twitter the millions of screen grabs of people saying oh but his toe was off the line mm-hmm. so technically the fact that he's gone to save that and that small margin is actually a huge margin because that could be why he saved the penalty so then if you're going to use VAR use VAR I don't get the picking and choosing what we're going to well, use it for. That's where half the problems have come from this season, the fact that the Premier League think we we know how to work this better than everyone else. Yeah. And it's not proven to be the case. Yes, and Gianni Infantino is not quite happy with the way the Premier League is implementing VAR. But uh, the missed penalty for City now means they have failed to score four of their last six spot kicks. Two from Gabriel Jesus, one each from Sterling and now Gundogan. Pep Guardiola has already said that their keeper, Edison, is their best taker in training. So, this is a bit controversial from producer Max. Is it time some teams bite the bullet and let their keepers take penalties? James? Pep Guardiola's ideal team would be 11 midfielders. (laughs) And Edison, I reckon, could do a shift in central midfield if he wanted to. Um, That's one way of getting on the pitch. And I might be be being a bit flippant here, but, but, but in all seriousness... If he is a if he is a good penalty taker, we've seen it before. Um, Schillever for Paraguay used to take the penalties and the free kicks, free kicks as well, which are even more risky risky situations. <laughs> yeah. I remember him taking one at the two thousand and two World Cup. I don't think he actually 
scored from it. But he he had a, a number of goals. Then there was I think Rogério Cheney, I think in Brazil who who got a hundred career goals from penalties and and free kicks. There is precedent, and if he's good enough, why not? I mean, City uh, City City can 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 cope probably defensively if teams try and fast break. Why not? It'd be fun to see, wouldn't it? I mean, it'd be fun to see, but it's a risk, Gregor. Would you be comfortable with your keeper taking a penalty? Uh, I'd be nervous. <laughs> I think. Imagine the the speed with which they would be going for the tactical foul if they, if he missed. <laughs> 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 He'd just be careering after Deploy anyone. Fernandinho. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I think it says more about the kind of quality of the penalty kick taken from the rest of the team. If you've not got mm. a striker or a you know, a midfielder who can stick the ball in the back of the net from 12 yards. When you played, were there any goalies good in training for uh, uh, pens? Yeah, and they're often like they strike the ball very well. And Ederson def- definitely comes into that category. When he, he sometimes you see those views from behind the goal and you see mm-hmm. him launch the ball out of field, it's, it's like a golf shot. So, I mean, yeah, it's clearly he can strike a ball. It's interesting because England, Pickford took a pen in the uh, in the Nations League, didn't he, against Switzerland? Yeah. And, and, they said afterwards they have this they have this um, this batting order of one to twenty three in the England squad and Pickford's about eight or nine. So if players are off the field or, or or not in the team or whatever, you know Pickford moves up and he's in that top five and mm. and that's and that's done through rigorous practicing and and uh, and testing out. So yeah. I mean I might get it for a, for a shootout. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for a <laughs> yeah, one off yeah. penalty one-off. in a game, I mean if that keeper misses. The opposition, they could break very quickly and get down the other end. And we don't want to see another Steve Cook save. <laughs> Molly. Well, there we go. This just proves that outfield players can play in goal as well. Why, why even, they have, be given why even have a set goalkeeper? Yeah. We don't need that anymore. That's it. You know, Mix you just up. pass on the gloves. Anyone can do it. Yeah. Everyone gets five minutes in goal. It's quite exciting. We've revolutionised football. Molly, well done. I like that. Okay. This is our first podcast since the January transfer window closed. And it's safe to say it didn't quite deliver the high profile moves that it had promised. Edison Cavani didn't leave PSG for the Premier League. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang didn't leave Arsenal for Barcelona. And there was no fairy tale return to Tottenham for Gareth Bale. So why don't we discuss the Welshman, and, and where his sort of future in football lies. Bale was linked with an exit from Real Madrid during the January transfer window, and his relationship with manager Zinedine Zidane is notoriously frosty. Tottenham are thought to have made a late attempt to sign the 30-year-old, but he was believed to be unwilling to take a cut on his £500,000 a week wages on his contract, which runs until the summer of 2022. Since leaving Spurs for Real in 2013 for a world record fee then of £85 million, Bale has won an incredible four Champions League titles but is now out of favour and seemingly unloved under Zidane Gregor should Bale have done the decent thing and take a pay cut to play regular football <laughs> not if he didn't want to and it turns out he doesn't want to <laughs> um, I think that, I think it's always very interested in this, this situation where there's a presumption an expectancy that a player should always through from the very moment he begins a football career to the very last be striving to be the very best he can be, uh, to write off huge sums of money to play football. He's played a lot of football. He's won a lot of trophies. I don't think he's probably going to... You know, He's ticked just about every box, I think, in, his, in a football career. Um, and there's a presumption that that is what footballers should do. Uh, and the reality is that a footballer's relationship with playing football is far more complex than that. Um a lot. I mean, he, uh, I remember seeing uh, 
the documentary State of Play on, on BT Sport with Michael Calvin, based on Michael Calvin's book, and he said in that that there's times where he doesn't like football. And mm. I've played with scores of players. I've there's been there was times, lots of times in my career, where I didn't like football, and it becomes a job. Mm. And the moment you become a professional footballer, your relationship with football changes forever. So he's, what is he thirty? Um, he's won four Champions Leagues won almost single-handedly in a final and now he's finding a football club his employer and their fans beating him down so your your instant reaction to that is F you um, I'll, I'll honour my contract you'll honour it and, and you'll pay me and I'll leave on my own terms so I think he's got every right to do that um, maybe his love for the game has waned a little bit maybe it's not we, none of us really know um, you know he's getting berated because he has a a hobby and interest playing golf outside of football which is healthy in my view um why I, why is that healthy well what, what should should your entire life be revolving around one thing is that is that what happens when you sign a, a contract you sign a contract and you're paid five hundred thousand pounds a week doesn't mean but i suppose some real madrid fans and maybe people within the club might say if you're injured should you really be out on the golf course should you not be working on your fitness if it turns out that playing golf would have any sort of negative impact on his recovery then there's, that's absolutely right there's an argument to be made but I don't think anyone has ever said that it was put to Zidane and he said that he needs to look after his body and there was no more than that he wasn't saying yes that was wrong um, I just think it's a stick to beat him with and I think I, don't, I still don't really see what he's done wrong when he plays he plays, He does his best if, some, if somebody is sitting there and picking up £500,000 a week which is an eye-watering figure, just saying it. Um, and he's kind of throwing the towel in. I don't think he's throwing the towel in. I think if he's working hard on training and he's given an opportunity, he does his best, he's fulfilling his, the terms of his contract and his obligations. So um, I think, if anything, the club has disrespected him. You look at that team, trying. It's, honestly saying that Gareth Bale shouldn't be on the bench for Real Madrid. I mean, with the quality they have... Even still, there's no doubt he should be in a Real Madrid squad. So that's a statement. The club has been more disrespectful to Gareth Bale than he has to the club. Mm. I mean, it does seem as though that the relationship has broken down in some way that may be repairable, of course. Um, Molly, can you have any sympathy for Real Madrid in that they may be paying somebody who, quite at present, isn't fulfilling their end of the bargain? I think maybe you have to think about that when they start dishing out these big contracts you know he's he's got this contract now and as Gregor said he's more than entitled to work out the rest of it just as you would in would in any other job and I think for Bale he's not playing a huge amount he's publicly said he prefers golf to football or at least football for Real Madrid and he's still getting linked with deadline day deals for millions of pounds to come and play for Spurs so that shows you what a great footballer he is, regardless of all of this other stuff. And, you know, I agree with Gregor. I think who wouldn't do that in his situation? It's always thrown onto the player too about taking a wage cut. I mean, I think Real Madrid could probably subsidise a great portion of his, of his salary and still save a lot of money and Spurs or whoever could pay the rest. So, you know, a contract has two, <laughs> has two sort of... Uh, to the ends of the deal to be, to be upheld here mm. I don't see why the player should be the person who loses out he wants to win the Champions League he wants to win the Liga where they are in the driving seat 
He wants to win the Copa del Rey, which they've been taking seriously this season. So he's not going to cut his nose off to spite his face um, and, uh, and 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 not play Bale for the sake of it. I mean, if 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 Bale is, you know, he, he will, Bale will still have an important part to play um, at some point this season. So I and and Zidane, is, as Ian Hawkey writes in the game today, Zidane is a, is a man who's prone to changing his mind on players, and I think. He, you know, it's not like it, it, Bale is in is a different is in a different bracket to say James Rodriguez, who has who has completely flopped at Real Madrid, and I don't think the club quite know what to do with him. Bale is still, still got, put him on the bench. Well, <laughs> they could do, but Bale, but Bale still has so much more to offer, I, and I think you know if for as long as he's still at the club, you know he's not he he's not down tools as you as you you know you know you you said that earlier. He's not down tools. He's available for selection. I just think the most the the key thing out of, out of this though is that expectancy. We all have an expectancy of of a of a professional footballer, mm. and it doesn't always. It's a very complex relationship with actually being a professional footballer. The, it's it's not the same as you or I being a supporter, um, and it kind of being a devotion. It's a job. That's what that's the way it becomes, especially towards the end of end of a career. You love football, but there are moments that you hate, and this is a moment. Where he feels he's well, his love for the game is clearly waning a little bit. Let's talk about another high-profile footballer. We cover all sorts of football stories here on the Game Podcast, but have we heard of a player being booked for showboating before? Well, over the weekend, PSG star Neymar was booked following an outrageous piece of skill versus Montpellier. Now, Neymar's rainbow flick won a throw-in during the French champions' five-nil victory, but it saw him confronted by the referee Jerome Brassard over goading his opponents through showboating. As you can imagine, Neymar didn't take to that too kindly. He was then cautioned for dissent after a heated discussion and he was not happy with the decision to say the least. Should the referee have got involved in this one, Molly? No, I think that's what's <laughs> bizarre about the whole situation that this whole story has come from Neymar getting booked and obviously I'm sure he said some not very nice things to the referee and probably deserved his booking. But it's all come from a really bizarre situation that shouldn't have ever existed because he won a throw-in. He he had like two or three players around him and he'd done this rainbow th- flick to get out of that situation. I mean, it wouldn't matter if he, he did it in the middle of the pitch and just did it for fun. It's, it's a football pitch and you're entitled to do whatever you want on it. Isn't that what we pay money to go and see? <laughs> people do, you know, People love this sport because... There are individ- gifted individuals who can do crazy things with the football and get people out of their seat. I mean, mm. if I go, if I go and watch, if I go and watch PSG, that's what I. That's the kind of thing I want to be able to see. Um, it's you know, it's 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 an absolutely baffling thing. I mean, I remember when Cristiano Ronaldo came to the Premier League and everyone had a go at his stepovers. You know, it's okay. It might not be. It might not. You know, it might not always come off. It might. It might be to the detriment of a, of a move. But for me. You want you want people doing exciting, different, new things. That, that's 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 why we love football. Well, we do always talk about flair players. Was this in any way disrespectful? Do you think, Gregor? No, I don't. Uh, I think. Look, it was a mental decision by the referee. I don't know what he was thinking there. Um, and in my experience, uh, the the people who are going to feel disrespected are his teammates. If he he does that, he goes out and plays like he's playing in the park. Mm-hmm. Um, Rather than doing the thing that's going to help them win the game most, it's different when it's five nil. I would I would think that, from my experience, if one of my teammates was playing like it was kind of a game of five a side, 
when we need to, we're trying to win a game, I would feel that would that would annoy me more than being the defender who was facing the Neymar who was trying to flick over my head. I mean, I would do my best to try and catch him and then kick him. And he, <laughs> he wouldn't like that. And I, you know, I wouldn't like the flick over my head. He wouldn't like being kicked. It's just, you know, <laughs> you play the game within the boundaries as much as you can. And that's, that's, that's as, as you say, everyone wants to see the most skillful and talented players playing the game. But I, I was also, you were talking about the, the step over and stuff. I was reminded of when Steven Gerrard, I think it was in t- about 2017, when he was Liverpool youth team academy coach, and he came out saying that he saw kind of a showboating mentality in a lot of academy uh, players at the moment, mm. um, and he was kind of widely derided for that, and you know, acting like he's a dinosaur. But I think that this is what I mean about, in in as a footballer, you want the players to do the thing that they are best at to help the team to win. It's a team game, so so the the only time where you would feel that someone like Neymar or players who are kind of often termed a bit of a, a luxury are doing things that aren't help, ultimately mm. helping the team to win. Well, that's when that's when you would feel, well, you have a word. If I mm. was, you know, he was one of my teammates, you would, you would let him know in no uncertain terms that he needs to do something else. Well, I remember, I remember when, uh, during Mourinho's first spell at Chelsea, I think I remember some comments about Joe Cole and showboating and kind of wanting... To kind of cut, not not cut that side of his game, but in the way you, you're saying, Gregor, about how if it's not helping, if it's not to the benefit of the team, and it's costing you a potential goal-scoring opportunity, but at the same time, you don't want to risk curbing that player's, of course, natural, natural talent. Of course, and there are not many players as technically gifted as as Neymar. So, you know, I think Neymar is a bit of a one-off, and um, it's five 0 it's just if he was to do something in a, a part of the pitch or something mm. where you're not meant to, and that's and he has he has history of that, you know. He he goes out and he plays. You get the impression he plays for himself a little bit more than the team, and that's the that's the only thing that's a kind of nagging doubt. Of course, we have seen showboating before uh, throughout football. Uh, if we you mentioned the World Cup a little earlier on, Molly, the Women's World Cup, USA players were blasted by some quarters, let's say, for over-celebrating their record-breaking 13-0 win over Thailand. The victory in which Alex Morgan scored five was, unsurprisingly, the biggest victory in World Cup history, men or women. With the contest already over, Morgan led a team celebration, including the substitutes dancing on the touchline, and Megan Rapino decided to sprint around the pitch, then do a dramatic slide after making it 9-0. At elite level, is there anything wrong with celebrating even when you are way out in front, Molly? I think it depends on the circumstances. And I think that particular one, yes, it was a very uneven playing field from kickoff. Um, the US women's national team have the most support out of any um, federation in the world. They have the best chance from when they're little girls to go and play women's football. Um, and they have the best support, the resources and everything that goes with that. And Thailand is the exact opposite. They were one of the minnow nations in the tournament. Um, sort of privately funded as well. Yeah, they, they, they all have day jobs um, and just a world away from everything that a player like Megan Rapinoe has. But at the same time, it wasn't the US's fault that they were playing Thailand. They just played what was in front of them and they, they played a World Cup and... You know, we 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 laugh about goal difference, but that could have that could have been important later on in the competition or later because it was a group stage game. Um, 
And I, I was speaking to Jill Ellis, the the um, previous US Women's National Team manager that, that was on the touchline that day. And she said, actually, looking back over her career as manager, one of the proudest moments actually was in that game, watching um, a player that had come back from injury score a goal in that game. It didn't matter how far ahead they already were for that player in their personal journey to score at a World Cup. It didn't matter who it was against. That 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 was still such a special moment. Mm. Now I think if it was thirteen nil, and it was a friendly, then I think that's that's a different circumstance, and I I wouldn't feel as comfortable with it, particularly the celebration if it was a friendly and there wasn't so much riding on it, and it wasn't, you know, literally a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, but I think also like the the Thai goalkeeper, who was like five foot three or something, was. Um, she was she was really happy. She came out and said afterwards that we wouldn't have wanted them to play any differently against us. Mm. They are so amazing and they are so much better than us, but that's just the way it is and we wouldn't have wanted them to, you know, to play a weakened team or anything like that. And James, do you think that is down to the fact that maybe the, with the Thailand goalkeeper, she's looking at, at that as the ultimate respect? Yeah, absolutely. I think it shows disrespect to not celebrate goals. Um, I... I, I, I I, I personally find it a bit annoying when I see a player not celebrate against a former club. I, I just think, live the moment, celebrate. You know, you've scored a goal for your team. Um, if you're, if you, it's different when it's against a former club. But in the case of USA Thailand, um, if you kind of just sort of, you know, give your teammate a pat, a pat on the back, a little bit of applause and whatever, you're basically saying, yeah, this is easy. This is a stroll in the park. This lot of rubbish. If you if you're going and doing, I mean, I I loved the, the the stage celebrations. I thought it again. It's the theatre of a World Cup. This is a, this is a, this is the biggest. This is the bit the biggest event on the world stage. Mark it, celebrate it, enjoy it, embrace it. Well, that's it. I and mean, with World Cup, as we know it, when it comes around every four years, a player might not get the opportunity to score ever again. So I can so, totally sympathise with why the Team USA went to the lengths that they did. Gregor, have you ever though been told or been in a game where it's so one sided that you've kind of it's been suggested maybe we need to go a bit easy on our opponents no, no. <laughs> I don't think so uh, when I was a kid you know I used to win 30 nil and stuff and <laughs> I uh, wish yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no I mean there's never games that very rarely there are games that are that one sided only mm. when you're talking about a team like Paris Saint-Germain they're so dominant or you know when there's such a disparity between resources and, and whatnot. So I don't think I think the guys are right. I think you want you would rather your opponents be sort of delighted and celebrating and doing their best. What's the alternative? They just kind of pass the ball around and you have to chase them around. And then you know I think the game is about striving to to win by as many as you can. What was your go-to celebration? Well, there weren't many times I had to go to it. So, well, so you, must, you must you must have enjoyed <laughs> well, you must the have moment. Then. Well, yeah, 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 I jumped yeah. around like a kind of wild little Bambi or something. <laughs> loose limbs everywhere. <laughs> the train is now approaching junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Now we end with a sad story from the Football League. The Accrington Stanley striker Billy Key has announced his retirement at the age of 29 due to ongoing mental health issues. Key, who hit 84 goals in 239 games in two spells, received a standing ovation at the Crown Ground before Stanley's 2-1 win over AFC Wimbledon this weekend. And the club have announced they will retire Key's shirt number of 29 in honour of the forward. Key revealed in September that he had been receiving treatment for depression, anxiety and bulimia and had not played since last April. He scored 26 goals for the club in the 2017-18 League 2 title winning season that saw Accrington promoted to the third tier for the first time. He said this on the club website, The most important thing is my health and my family and now I have made the decision I feel in a better place. Accrington will always have a place in my heart and I can never thank owner Andy Holt, manager John Coleman and assistant manager Jim Bell enough for everything they have done for me. Now, Gregor, I know you've covered this story for The Times. How brave has this decision been for Key and, and, and how brave has it been for him to speak out as he has? Very brave. I mean, yeah, I was I was at the game on Saturday. Um, really touching kind of little presentation before. They mm. told all the fans to get in 20 minutes before and it was pretty much full. Um, and he kind of was prayed to the fans and they all serenaded him and he was in tears. Um, so he, he had a real affinity with that football club. He was, he's, he's a bit of a throwback. He kind of, he says he likes to have a pint after the game. He likes to go out with his pals and have a kebab. Mm. <laughs> he's, you know, he's not someone who's kind of the, you know the sports science side of the game and and uh, about being an athlete um that's not really being him and he's still a I've played against him he's a he was a very good striker um but it's brief for two reasons one yeah as you say just just speaking out um and he said if voicing his issues helps one person then it'll have been worthwhile um but the second thing is you know people have spoken out about mental health struggles and, and struggles with depression mm. but actually taking the decision to step back and to retire from the game at the age of 29 when he was earning decent money you know this is Accrington Stanley it's not Premier League money um, and he's got children uh, and really the future is quite unknown quite an unknown um, it's very brave but he, he's, he kind of the way he explained it he's saying that football is not the root cause of his struggles with mental health, but football is not good for his mental health. Mm, mm. So 
you know, he's, he, these issues are, are, are kind of are part of him. Um, but playing football made it much harder for him to, to live a kind of happy life. So I think the decision, the, the decision to, to step away uh, was very brave. And he, he also said that he thinks there'd be more, more footballers than, than we could ever realise, really, who have similar issues with depression mm. and anxiety because football is so all-consuming. I mean, you think there'd be no correlation between what we're talking about with Gareth Bale and, and Billy Key there, but Gareth Bale is someone who is able to <laughs> seemingly take a step back from all the noise and all the surrounding sort of issues with playing for Real Madrid and, and you know, getting again abuse from his fans and, and the football club not wanting him and, and still step back and seemingly having a, a happy life. Billy Key could not... He was telling me he would read fans' forums to kind of... He was so stressed out about how he'd played. If, he, if he'd lost, he wouldn't sleep for days. If he'd, mm. You know, if he missed a chance. He just couldn't quite find the kind of coping mechanisms to play football at a professional level. He wants to hopefully play at a part-time level where it's not about money and it's just all about the enjoyment because he still said he he knows he'll miss the 90 minutes. He hated training. <laughs> he used to hide, apparently, if he ever asked to do an interview, he would hide, he would say, he would say yes, but only if it's like at 10 o'clock so I can miss training. <laughs> <laughs> really? But when the Saturday came around, the 90 minutes of kind of release and and having a scrap and the physicality of it, that's something that is very hard to replace. So... I hope he does go and play somewhere. Yeah, uh, it's incredible, actually, when you hear more about what he's had to say. I mean, last year he spoke openly about his struggles. He said, I would wake up every Saturday thinking, I hope the game's off. I hope it rains loads. I was rocking on the bed crying and I wasn't enjoying it. I wanted to quit. I was low at the time and you start thinking, well, I just drive my car into a wall. I thought, that's it, that's me, done. Why is someone with the best job in the world going to kill themselves? It just doesn't make sense. And I suppose the problem is we put football and footballers on a pedestal like it is the dream job, if you like, James. But ultimately, mm. it is a job and there is pressures that come with it. And unfortunately, Key, he, he's had his struggles. But I suppose my point is that, that we do see it as this amazing position that these footballers are in, but they're just like everybody else. I'd, I'd like to say Accrington, Stanley and Billy Key deserve amazing credit for what they've yeah. done because you touched on it earlier Gregor but the number of people who will have been made aware of his story um it's educational and it and it and it shows people who might be going through the same thing not not in not in football but mm -hmm. in their own in their own lines of work in their own lives um and to see someone speaking so openly and candidly and honestly about what they're suffering um, is a real source of hope for someone, and I mean, I from a from a from a more personal point of view, as a Leighton Orient supporter, our director of football, Martin Ling, has spoken very openly about his battles with mm. uh, with with uh, with mental health, and and it's it it, it it football football can use its platform. You know, there's a you, you get a huge you have an amazing platform in football, and people going through struggles with their with their health if they can speak about these things openly, it can help thousands of people potentially. Yeah, it certainly can. And obviously in the women's game, there are have, have been women footballers who have, who have come out with their own struggles within the game, Molly. Yeah, and I think maybe the women's game will 
perhaps isn't at this level at the moment where there, there has been such scrutiny and particularly from the financial side of things, um, that hasn't been really a barrier that women's players have ever had to consider because women's football has never really been full-time. And now that it is, um, I spoke to Beth Rowe, who plays for Brighton in the Women's Super League, and she's a professional footballer now, and she found it really difficult that football was all she had. And when she had mental health issues, she realised that she didn't have anything to step back away from and she quit the game to to find something else that she loved as well as football so that she had something to go back to and something that, you know, when she did get injured, it wasn't literally the end of the world. Um, and she's, she started a, a degree now um, and has that to fall back on. So now when the football isn't going right or when her mental health worse, she has somewhere else to go, which, you know, as Gregor was saying with Gareth Bale and the golf, if, if he can be happy, then... Ultimately, that's way more important than how many goals you're going to score in a season. And of course, we do send out our wishes to Billy Key and, and wish him all the very best in whatever comes next for him. That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, James Restall and Molly Hudson. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Thursday. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.